This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is sponsored by Combat Beauties Apparel. Thank you for finding your way to a place where trauma exists, pain is real, and victims' voices are heard. We see you, we hear you, we stand for you. Combat Beauties embodies a passion with purpose in their apparel. Their mission is to combat sexual assault in the military, supporting victims and survivors by promoting change through social awareness. Combat Beauty strives to bring awareness and eradicate sexual assault in the military through apparel products in direct support of their service members and veterans. We stand as believers of the many victims denied. We stand as the voice of victims silenced. We stand as protectors of victims in retaliation, and we will continue to stand and advocate for change. Make sure you order today on their website at www.combatbeautiesapparel.com. Welcome to the Little Bit of Life podcast. I'm your host, Little, better known as Tabitha. A lot of you may know me from social media, but little is shown off the apps. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and the occasional chats on topics of what we seem to think but don't say. Special guests will join me on these topics that have impacted me along the way. Very little is off limits. Tune in on your favorite streaming platform and be a part of the interview with videos on the Little Bit of Life podcast YouTube channel. Let's dive into these topics together, one voice, one story at a time. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, a little bit of Life Podcast right here with your host, Little. Today, I have a very special guest on with me. Her name is Erin Scanlon. She is the blonde 25-year-old from suburban Phoenix that I am home from, and I am so excited to have her on today's story. When you Google her name, Erin Scanlon, you're going to find a lot from Rolling Stone to ABC News. And when we talk about her story, a junior army officer in the artillery branch at Fort Bragg, she was in prime posting. But as Rolling Stone featured in her episode, Delta Force's Dirty Secret. She accused a special forces operative of rape. He was quietly court-martialed and acquitted. And then the army erased all record of the trial testimony. Now she is standing up, speaking out, and demanding answers. Sit back and listen to today's very special episode with Erin Scanlon, and I am so excited to share her story with you today. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, Little Bit of Life podcast here with your host, Little. You have seen all of my social media posts in regards to our guest today. I'm so honored because she's also from Arizona, so she is one of my local girls. Uh, but her name is Erin, and she is a military legislative assistant. She is an Army veteran. She's a brain sur- survivor for surgery. Like, there's nothing that this woman has not conquered. So welcome on, Erin. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. <laughs> I'm connected about Arizona, too, because... I know. I don't I'm, I know. I'm so excited to have you on. We've seen you everywhere. Uh, Rolling Stone, you did a fantastic, fantastic um, article with them. And you are making waves in a male-dominated industry. I feel like especially within being an Army veteran, you're coming up and creating waves for change. I think that so many women feel, especially in the military, that you're silenced and you are not heard and you're supposed to just sit pretty and just continue forward and I love that you are just one of those strong empowering badass women that you are breaking the mold on opening the door for so many I think you're just you're incredible wow um thank you I (laughs) definitely don't feel that way I think I've just always been like a talker so if it's on my mind I will say it um and hope to just show 
other women that like maybe probably someone's not going to listen to you but eventually someone will and and someone will feel for you so um yeah just what we're trying to do over here (laughs) (laughs) so let's just dive in uh when we google your name you come up everywhere you are you're that powerhouse so give us a little bit of backstory for listeners that may have no idea what happened in your personal life that has led you now to where you are yeah so um it all started when i was on active duty um i was stationed at fort bragg in the 82nd i was a field artillery officer um living my best life jumping out of planes shooting cannons um doing what i had wanted to do like exactly what i wanted um and one night um friday night i went out was drinking with friends and was um, sexually assaulted by turns out another service member so um though i didn't know that for a couple of weeks at least um and so being on active duty i'd seen all the posters and everything about the shark program um and basically went into report that next morning went to well i'm sorry went to the hospital um did the the rape kit um and then this was on the weekend so monday morning i went to cid and reported it um then uh started with the interview um i believe you know I believe that when CID realized who the perpetrator was, who the accused was, they sent me to the local authorities to deal with it. Um, And it's just kind of an interesting situation. I've learned an interesting like policy thing between the military and the local jurisdictions is a lot of times they overlap. Um, I think a lot of times the local jurisdictions don't want to get involved. They want to let the military take care of their own and handle their own. Um, But at the same time, you know, you have like Fayetteville, North Carolina is a large, large city. Um, If you include Fort Bragg in the Fayetteville numbers, it's the second largest city in North Carolina, second to Charlotte. So that was the statistic back. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's pretty (laughs) close to that. Uh, But it's a very large city and it's it's mostly supported by Fort Bragg. So, um, you know, oh, it's actually now called Fort Liberty today. Oh. I know. They're changing so That's, many of yeah. these. Fort Hood just got changed, yeah. I think, May, on May 9th. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So and Fort Hood's another one where, you know, the local economy is, is the whole town, like, is min, inter, mingled with the uh, service members that are stationed there. And so, you know, it's this whole thing. And so, um, sorry, long, long way to say. I ended up going to the local authorities. Um, they did the whole investigation. They arrested and charged the um, accused. Mm-hmm. He um, he was a Delta Force soldier, and so that was quite scary to me. Um, knowing you know, I know what Delta Force is, knowing how highly trained they are, and knowing that I had now just gotten on the bad side of one of them. So mm-hmm. that was very scary. Um, but one thing that helped me throughout was, you know, not being afraid to ask for help. I continuously went to my, my victim. I kept my victim advocates um, in my corner, whether they were active duty or local 
um, nonprofit leaders and asked for everything I needed. Um, I went through many different forms of therapy, both on post within the military and in the civilian sector, and just tried to survive um, all the way up leading till towards the, the court martial. And so it was about a year, a little over a year later, um, after I reported that the military got involved again. Um, it was, yeah, it was probably 14, 15 months later. The military comes to me and my advocates and said, we didn't realize that you, the victim, and the perpetrator were both active duty. And so we should be trying this case. It took them that long to figure that out? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> wow. So um, at that point, um, and it, well, again, the reason that I found you, um, your podcast episode interview with Michelle Black. So it was, that was about when, when unfortunately, when the um, SF guys from three two, ODA 3212 were killed, that was about a year after I had reported the assault. And Dustin, um, Staff Sergeant Dustin Wright, was my best friend. He was the first person I told what happened to. And between losing him, the military getting involved again and just waiting for this trial to be over, um, at that point, I was just, I was barely holding on. Um, and so I just told the military, I, I don't care. Like, if you think you're going to handle it better than the, than the civilian law enforcement, go ahead. I don't care. Like, I just need to, I just need to move on. Mm -hmm. So, um, that unfortunately delayed the trial another four or five months. And so it was, um, nearly two years later, finally had the court martial on Fort Bragg. And at that, that point is when I was, I was like being dragged along. Um, <laughs> It, it, and I don't mean like I didn't want to cooperate. Like mm -hmm. I was not, I was barely functioning. Um, I was, I was not doing my job. Mm -hmm. I was not getting out of bed, not doing well at all. It took the support of my family, my victim advocates, my therapists, um, and my chain of command getting involved to kind of get me to the trial. Um, and the trial happens at Fort Bragg and I feel fairly confident to say that the military mishandled my case from the beginning, but it especially came out during the trial. Um, you know, it wasn't like, like there were some, some pretty clear, um, you know, reasons that like, this is not, if I was the, if I was the accused, I could have appealed this all the way. It was, you know just rights being violated left and right and just not due process. So for example, um, because the perpetrator was Delta force that night, some of his other friends that were around were Delta force as well. And both the local authorities and then the military authorities wanted to interview them. Um, and the military said, no, understandably, um, sort of under the, you know, protecting national security, 
But what the military could have done was made the trial classified. And they just chose not to do that. So some of the, um, you know, witnesses, people who were around that night were never talked to because the military wouldn't allow it. My special victims counsel, who is an army appointed attorney, they're there to represent the victim and only the victim. Um, during the trial, my army appointed attorney was ordered to testify against me. Wow. Um, so that was a pretty clear, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty clear, like, violation of, of rights. Um, the, the judge had been openly hostile towards the, uh, towards the army's mm-hmm. SVC program in general during the trial. And then goes on and says, you know, this SVC has to testify against the victim. And, and the craziest part was my attorney, she was, she was my attorney. And then right before the trial, her chain of command kind of realized that she was going to be asked to testify against me. And so to try to avoid that, they sent her on leave. And just said, you know, just get away from Fort Bragg. Hopefully that will, you know, then the judge will just drop it. Well, no, the military was so adamant that my attorney come testify against me, the victim, that they sent the U.S. Marshals to go get her, bring her off leave back to Fort Bragg court marsh- courthouse to testify against me, who she was supposed to be representing. <laughs> wow. So... The the person that's mm-hmm. supposed to be in your corner, that is your yeah. advocate for a reason, they yeah. are pinning against you in one of the toughest moments of your life that has been dragged yeah. forever. Just a just wow. weird wow. just a weird use of taxpayers' dollars. Um, you know, I don't really <laughs> understand how that was trying to get at justice. Um and just some other you know, it was just, it was just very, um, odd. It, it came out later through some investigative reporters, um, investigations that one of the soldiers who was going to be the character witness, um, for my trial was then found murdered on Fort Bragg and had been being investigated for drug and human trafficking. It just gets But he was he was gonna be the character witness for my gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Hmm. So it kind of just um like it it's it's interesting because my that one night at that warehouse I accidentally um and then going to report I accidentally kind of shed shone the light on a whole lot of misbehavior that was happening in some units of the military. And, you know, I had I had no idea that that's what was, what was happening at the time, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, as, as, as you guys had kind of discussed on some of your previous podcasts, like, special operations community, the military in general, um, you know, one, the military trains people to be highly trained warfighters and then sends them to go off to do these 
these things that a lot of them we really we need them to do these like our our country is safe but they're not necessarily things that a sane person does and then can just come back and assimilate to society Mm -hmm. but as a whole we don't allow them to like dod the department of defense doesn't allow them to take that break and reset and it just you know we were at war for 20 years it was it was a lot and you the department of defense invests so many so much money in these in training soldiers and um it just kind of was a web of of a lot of different things Hmm. that i think that the military needs to needs to work on Mm -hmm. um including mental health and helping service members transition out of the military and um yeah it's always that rabbit hole I mean, I've talked to so many, as you said, with different, you know, guests that have come on that are military and civilian. I do, I do everything, a little bit of everything. And uh, it's amazing because you start talking about a topic and then you start going into like with your, with your case and your trial and you find the depths of different areas of darkness, I always call it, that you never knew existed. And especially being in the military and giving your service, which we all thank you for you never really want to admit that that's even possible. Like you are in the military, you're proud. And you know, it's something where when you start uncovering this stuff, you're like, man, like it's always something where, you know, when I post these episodes, so many of the civilians will come out and say, how deep do you know, how deep does this stuff go? And I'm like, Oh, you know, I don't even think there's a right or wrong answer for that. So I, I think it's interesting, especially with your case and your trial. It was like this volley back and forth of we'll take it. No, we'll take it. No, And it makes me really upset and angry because I always think of the wasted time and the mental anguish that you went through and the trauma that it caused you. Because, I mean, for those that are listening, for sexual harassment, sexual assault, any form of that, it takes a lot of courage to even step up and report it. I mean, that is a huge and massive step, especially in the military. But then you get the negative comments and then you get all the people that, you know, are involved and want to, you know, I always say want to chirp up and have a conversation about it and get involved and get their hands in the pot. And I think with yours, that was the main issue is there's so much that went wrong because there's so many people that seem to be on that cusp of figuring it out. And then, oh, nope, we're hands off. Nope. Now we're hands on. Nope. It amazes me to read about that. And I can't even imagine the mental torment that you went through for that long stretch of a time period. It's sickening to me. Yeah, it it was unfortunate because it was pretty much the rest of my time in the military was just trying to get through that and then get out of of the army. Um, I was just I was just done at that point. I do think that it was it was I don't say it was good, but it was it was sort of helpful that so many things went wrong in different aspects because it made for a good story. It made it shone a light on some of the you know, if it wasn't a crazy story, the reporters that I've talked to would not have been interested in publishing it. Because they did. I had so many people reach out and I've connected with so many people and it's what you know, between realizing what went wrong and realizing that the military mistreated me pretty much from the beginning, um, right after the trial, I started engaging with senior leadership in the military 
and was just like that was that was fucked up like you you, you did me wrong and here's why mm-hmm. and let me lay it out for you and we got to fix this and here's how we fix it and so between starting to do that literally immediately um and and props to the the some of the the few senior leaders who did listen to me and did want to hear um they yeah um but so that all kind of set in motion the next stage of my life going to reporters I started studying policy and when I got a master's in policy from Georgetown and did my thesis on military sexual assault um and realized I am not the exception I'm almost the the norm of military sex of the way that military handles sexual assault and mental health my situation shined a whole light on on the mental health issues as well both on the victim and the perpetrator because we know that Mm -hmm. hurt people hurt people and so it's like there's so many things that the DOD needs to do here a lot of it is policy based and that's really what I've been doing since the end of the court martial or attempting to do. <laughs> Look at you. I called you a powerhouse when you came in. And now, listeners, do you see why? Because, like I said, stepping up and, and speaking out is really, really hard. I've talked to so many women that, you know, I keep all of their stories anonymous. I mean, they flood my DM. Mm-hmm. And it's always, no one's going to believe me. These are all upper, you know, ranking. And I don't want to do this. And my career is going to be ruined. And that's the hardship for me. That's where it starts. And it starts with understanding that everyone has a voice. But then like you stated, then it goes up into that next bracket of the policies and really paying attention and changing. I think that's amazing. I mean, you went got your master's. I'm telling you, you're something else. Like you're, you're wanting to take your experience and making a change and pushing for a change. And I think that that's why I look up to you so much because so many of this happens to men and women in the military. I mean, it's happening more than probably the military wants us to talk about it, but it's something that, I mean, I feel like there's this massive movement now that so many people are coming out and they're like, you know what? This is not okay. What you did, like with your situation, you did me Mm -hmm. wrong. You messed Mm -hmm. up, but you continue to push that envelope to where, okay, yes, you did wrong. And I voiced my opinion and I'm being loud about it, but now you're really pushing this movement to make it. So this, this isn't a routine behavior that is happening within the military. It's happening with civilians, but it's massive in the military. It's always this hide, you know, we'll take care of you and don't talk about it. And it's, it's this victim shaming that's coming alongside with the military at the same time, because they're trying to cover their shit. And it's like, this is how you take care of your service men and women behind that gate. Like, how dare you? Yeah. It, it was extremely frustrating. Um, but again, realizing like, well, I can't just like go and scream and cry about it. I have to, or I mean, I can, Mm -hmm. but that's not very effective. Let's try to fix it. Um, and so that's, you know, what I, what I, deal with now on a day-to-day basis is um, meeting incredible people who something happened in their life and they realized, you know, we need to change some things, but, but you have to work towards a solution rather than just Mm -hmm. saying, this is, this is wrong. The military is not doing me justice. Okay. But what can we do to fix it? 
Like we can't just complain. Mm -hmm. Otherwise nothing is going to change. Um, and so that's really, yeah. What, what got me very interested in, in things, um, and, and realizing how important mental health is. And I mean, as part of, probably part of the problem is a lot of these senior leaders may have their own experiences that they haven't dealt with. And, you know, just encouraging people to go get mental, to go get help. Like it's, I say this too, you, you know, people say they don't want to go receive mental health um, services because they will appear weak. They're, they're too strong. Um, but I'm like, what is harder than going to ask for help? nothing like that is what it makes you appear strong is going to ask for help and then just fixing you know we we need to have enough <laughs> enough mental health providers now that every if everyone wants it um and that's something on a, on the really cool side from the policy perspective that i can try to work on I did an episode, I have a couple that are coming out with the police department and fire department and in that civil service and military. And we talk about that mental health because like, I like how you said, hurt people, hurt people. So a lot of, you know, the accused, so to speak, and this is my opinion, obviously, but I think a lot of them have a trauma bond and they have past issues and they've been through, you know, so much Mm -hmm. that the only way to fix it is just to continue the pattern and continued the behavior. And I think yeah. especially in the military, it was a form of weakness for a long time. I come from a military family that was, you know, something happens to you, just bury it. Don't talk about it. You know, just keep on pushing. That's what you're there for. And um, I think you're you're trained that way of, you know, let it go. Don't talk about it. Don't show your emotions. But now this like, it's this huge revolutionary movement, which I'm so proud of. We got a lot of work to do in the military. Yeah. I mean, man, do we have some work. But it's being socially acceptable to talk about mental health, to talk about sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape. I mean, even now, when you say that word, people just cringe. But now we're in this, it's yeah, sad. Yeah, don't no, want to But now, like, when we yeah. start talking about it, the more people speak up, it's not something to be ashamed about or feel guilty about. And I think a lot of times when it comes to women, we're very much emotional. We take that shame and that victim mentality of the guilt of you know, society has made women, especially in this in this moment, think, you know, what did you do that maybe you – it's this disgusting way of did you deserve it? Did you ask for that? And it's so mm-hmm. disgusting. I mean, I see so many now of these men and women, and I'm going to put it on the military. Sorry, you're pushing this towards women of, well, look how she looks out of uniform. It's a uniform. You're still a human being. You are a person. Yeah. And so much of that is happening in the military of – you are victim shamed when you come out and that's where it has to stop. Like there's no excuse or behavior that that's acceptable because we're not going to have victims speak out if they are felt like no one's going to believe me. These are high ranking officers. My career is over. And I love that you are speaking up and speaking out for women saying like your career is not over. Your life is not over. Let's dive into mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And my career, my military career, sort of ended except now I do defense and veteran policy Mm -hmm. so and it's only been for the better um yeah god mental health is is so important um and 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 I was just thinking I love when you're talking I do love when people ask me how I got into policy and what I'm doing now and Mm -hmm. 
And I just, strangers, I'm like, oh, I was raped and I reported it and the military totally mishandled the case. So I came up to DC to try to fix things. Bam. <laughs> and they're just like, what? <laughs> I wasn't like, whoa. But, yeah. you know, it, put, it puts that personal face to it. And then they're like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, mental health. So talking about mental health, because you're, when you... It's so hard when you've experienced something like this. When you talk about your story, it does send you back in that moment. Whether you're ready or not, it takes you right back into that moment and feelings and thoughts. So when you're doing this for a living and you're working with changing policies, how is that working with your mental health? What are you doing now to so-called protect yourself? Because you're going to, you talk about this all the time. So it's, it's kind of like you're re-traumatizing yourself. Yeah, I think after a while, I just... It became my my fuel. Um, I did I did a lot of work to I did a lot of therapy for the sexual assault. Um, I did accelerated resolution therapy, Operation Red Wing Foundation, um, formerly Lone Survivor Foundation. They're fantastic. They do a great program for free for active duty or veteran. Um, doesn't matter. Um, and so I do think eventually I I got to the point where it wasn't super re-traumatizing um Mm -hmm. I did when I first got to DC and I went to a like a convention and it was a bunch of it was right at the beginning when I came here tons of senior military leaders and I I had a breakdown because it was just this mentality of why the fuck are all these people here who think they care about the military and yet soldiers are getting raped and killing themselves and getting murdered and you don't actually give a fuck. And I had to, mm-hmm. I had to walk in the bathroom and um, luckily or in- intentionally have built a support system here of mostly other veterans um, and was able to call one, happened to be close by. And so I was able to go and, just sit and have lunch and kind of recharge. And she is a fantastic person because she is, she'll just sit and and listen and validate your feelings. Um, But, you know, I think in those cases I've learned just to talk to someone because they don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on if you don't tell them. Um, I have also, I got, so this is this kind of sparked my move to DC is when I had surgery. So mm-hmm. a y- year ago, I had um, a tumor removed from behind my eye. The doctors found it, and it was pretty large. Um, and they said we need to remove this quickly. Um, concerned about your vision, it's pressing on your optic nerve. The first surgery. Um, didn't work. They tried to, you know, remove it through my eye, couldn't get it. So I had to have um, a craniotomy. So they had to go all the way through my, through my forehead, um, down to my ear. And that was, I mean, that was within 24 hours, like first surgery to second surgery, 24 hours. Um, and after the surgery, you know, I was very fortunate to have my family taking care of me, but the my vision got really screwed up during it. It swelled really bad and I had terrible double vision and I couldn't function without an eye patch. And I had, you know, 
I had no idea how long your head will swell for. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. two months later. My head's still swollen. My eyes still black and blue. I couldn't see. And I started recognizing the signs of like, okay, I'm, I'm going back into that bad place where Mm -hmm. I was before during the sexual assault. And it was, I was in that bad place during the sexual assault for like three years between getting to the bottom and getting back out, maybe four. And, and it was hard as hell to get out of that. And I started getting some of those thoughts again, um, after the surgery and was like, okay, these are, this is terrible. If I'm, I'm thinking the only reason not to blow my brains out is because some surgeon just worked so hard to keep my head intact. Mm -hmm. Like that's not a good thought to have. And I sure as hell don't want to get down into the bottom and either knock it out or again, have to crawl my way back out. Not doing that again. Absolutely not. So I I took drastic changes and I quit my job and I took a leap and moved to DC with no job (laughs) um, (laughs) to pursue my, my dream of being able to do policy um, in DC defense and veteran policy in DC and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, I think a lot of times people get so scared of like the the potential risks, and um, I was like, "What? It, what's the absolute worst that happens if I don't succeed? Like, am I really? I mean, am I going to be homeless? No, I don't think so. I have disability. I have a family." You know, maybe some people that could be the case, but it's not it's not worth your mental health for like a cheaper mortgage. That is that was what was preventing me from from moving and following my dream was the cost of living. Not worth the the mental health strain. And so ever since I got to DC, it doesn't it doesn't feel like I work. Like I just do me. This is what I do. I'm an advocate for for military and and it's incredible and recharging energizing and um just being here and being able to do what I love is is it's worth it it's worth going through the sexual assault and the hell because I wouldn't be the advocate that I am without all that I hate that this happened to you but I think of especially I think listeners are going to hear this and be like yep she's she's it if it could have happened to someone that could make a change and make a difference, it was it was you. Because I think so many victims feel that guilt and that shame for so long. And they live in that constant state of fear of what if, what if, what if. And you just take that boundary wall of what if and you're like, that's fine. Like, I'm just going to keep pushing. And I think it's – you're at the epicenter for change. I mean, you're in D.C. You're exactly where you need to be. I think it is so commendable that you continue to push and – you know, you're, you're being honest and open on here of like, yeah, you know, I did have fears of what if, what if, but you pushed through that fear and that boundary and you, you're making moves that are going to change so many lives from a traumatic experience that happened to you that you could have quit and gave up. Especially, like you said, you were in that, that very dark place for years. And I know so many are listening and they may say like, you know, I'm not brave enough to speak up. I'm in that really hard time right now, but you kind of have to switch that mindset. And I think it's amazing that you got to that point where you're like, okay, enough is enough. I matter. 
And now I'm going to make a change so that other people feel that they matter too. I think you're amazing. I think you're so incredible. <laughs> well, thank you. That's so nice. Um, but yeah, it is. It You have to just recognize that first, like, okay, this is not working. Like something's got to change and then, and then make a change. And sometimes the really big ones are, are what's worth it. But, you know, going through the trials and, and, shitty times is when you realize like what is actually worth it and what's actually important that sounds so cliche but once you actually once you finally experience it you're like oh yeah that's what they mean when they say you know figure out what's important to you yeah well I am so grateful that you came on to speak with us today I hope this episode reaches a couple people and uh if you are either in the military or you're civilian because you know we don't put any anyone in a box um, I hope this really empowers you, whether you're a male or a female and you're listening and thinking, okay, like now I'm ready. I, I'm able to do this. I'm not alone. This is why I do these episodes because we all seem to bond through trauma, but if we can bond in a healthy way that builds change and empowers each other, I think that's so much better because it's making your, it's making your perpetrator not win at the end of the day. And it's just really bringing that voice of change to the forefront. So I'm going to put all your information in the bio description. I want everybody to listen and share this, but follow, follow Erin because she's making some really big moves. And I love when your little bubble pops up on Instagram, like she's got a story. I need to know what she's doing, what she's up to. Because, you know, I think we need more women like you that are empowering others and not putting perpetrators on a pedestal while the victims stay in a box. I think that's really important. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time right here with me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And don't forget to head over and rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform to bring others along this journey with us for next week's episode. And subscribe on the Little Bit of Life YouTube channel for upcoming videos and live action to come. Have you joined in on all of my adventures? Be sure not to miss a moment on Instagram at littlecute1az. Let's share these stories to more that need to be in the know. I will catch you on the next episode. And remember, be good to others and be good to you.